The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came out and called, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did Jesus' homage, saying, Lord, help me. He said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. She said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the woman's daughter was healed from that hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Due to the CSA, um, I still would like to offer a short reflection on uh, the readings today. Uh, Just two kind of points for it um, as we go. Uh, First of all, just to kind of touch on the gospel today. We've heard this gospel before, uh, but it's a little confusing. And I would just say that I don't know what's going on. And if anybody does say that they know exactly what Jesus was doing there, I would take it all with a grain of salt. Because we don't know exactly what's happening here. But what we do know is that we can apply certain things that we do know about Jesus, right? Because we have many other interactions of Jesus that he has. This is only, this story is only told once in one gospel. And so we don't have Jesus doing this a whole bunch of times. It's just this once. Uh, But we know many other things about Jesus. And one of the most important things that we need to interpret this gospel through is to realize that Jesus is without sin. Now, you'd assume that's a pretty easy one, but I have heard certain people, you know, do the explanation of, well, Jesus was really a racist, and this woman helped, you know, open up his eyes. And I would just say that's a really bad interpretation. Jesus is is without sin, right? Um, And so we need to interpret it as such. Now, one of the other things that we can realize is that even though that Jesus, you know, Jesus uh, is, has an interaction here. It's also presented through the lens of the gospel author, Matthew. So it is inerrant, uh, but it is through the lens. And so we don't get every single little detail. It's not a video of this interaction. It is a written account, which to a certain extent we can apply certain modern things into it or, or different things. And so just to also, also take a grain of salt with our reading and understanding of it. Um, I think that one thing that we can clearly take from it, uh, again, from knowing other things about Scripture, about Jesus, about the way that he acts, is that uh, beautifully we know that Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel, that his ministry is specifically ordered toward Jewish people. But 
his ministry to the Jewish people was not in isolation. Now, how do we know that? Well, first of all, how the church grew by not just being Israelite and Jewish, but also Gentile, as we hear about in the second reading, that in fact, certain Jewish people, a majority of the Jewish people actually rejected Jesus and his fulfillment of the covenant. And so the message was able to be fruitfully attributed to other Gentile people. But we also hear it not just happen in the early church, but also we hear it in the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah in the first reading. And so really we see these three readings really combine as the church puts them together to remind us that even though it's really important for us to see the way that God specifically worked in the nation of Israel, that it was not in isolation, okay? Because in the first reading of the prophet Isaiah, he says, God, this is a prophecy, right? For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. He reminds the Israelite people that his blessing on them is not meant to be in isolation and individualism. Now, this is important for us to understand on a salvation history uh, regard to see the way that Israel is prepared to bring salvation to the whole world, but it's also important for us to understand that in a personal way as well. Sometimes uh, with our American individualistic mentality as well as sometimes our Protestant, uh, sometimes a Protestant kind of uh, infla or uh, influence of Protestantism is that we can have an individualistic understanding of faith, of salvation, of religion. And that's quite frankly anti-Christian, anti-Catholic, because we see that God does not save us or does not bless us individually solely for our individual sakes. But he actually blesses us individually for the sake of all. He blesses us to bless us. But the blessing upon us is also meant to overflow and meant to really and truly affect those around us. And we can see that in certain ways where people touched by God affect those around them, right? And it's not just by accident that that happens, but that's an intentional action of God that we see in salvation history, specifically blessing Israel and bringing about the salvation of the whole world through that. And in the same way in your life, is that the gifts that God gives you is not meant to be an isolation of, I deserve this. We often experience that in the world, right? How do we get things? Well, we deserve them, right? We work hard and so we get this and we deserved it because we worked hard. That's not how the spiritual life works. That's not how the life of grace and the gifts of God work. God's love is unconditional, right? Certainly how we respond to it allows us to be able to uh, engage with it more and be able to experience a fullness, a more, a more full experience of it. But his love is unconditional. It's not because we deserved it. It's because he gave it to us. Certainly in the spiritual life, which then, as God gives us mercy, we are, we by necessity, need to offer mercy to those around us. But it also happens in other ways, not just in the spiritual life, which we can kind of compartmentalize. But also, I want to just say practically, it also happens in the material gifts that we receive as well. 
Now, certainly, uh, most of you work a job or have worked a job, right? And, and you work and then you get that money and, and you deserve that money, right? Because you've worked hard for it. But understanding the world as all is gift, the ability to work, the ability to be here, the ability to be able to receive a paycheck is really at the heart, at the deepest level, a gift from God. And so monetarily, it's not I get all of this and out of my generosity, I give some away. But really, all is a gift from God. In generosity, you use some for yourself in order to take care of yourself so that you're not a burden to others, as well as you also uh, take care of your family, right, and other things, which is a gift. But also, in generosity, we share that with others, which is why it's so incredibly spiritually for us to tithe, incredibly uh, important for us spiritually, for our spiritual health, to tithe to our parish, to other charities. And I also make a plug today for the CSA and the diocese. Because it's important for us to realize that the gifts that we receive are not in isolation for ourselves, but for the whole good of the whole world. And so as we come here, let us recognize those gifts that God gives us. And also in thanksgiving, realize that all is gift. And, and allow God to use those gifts of ours where he would desire to use them.